lady and gentleman. Let me begin with a, with a sort of a, more of a personal questions concerning missions. Um, would you tell us what you believe is to be the greatest change you have seen on your field uh, that's related to missions? What do you see uh, is the greatest change in the past year or so? Dr. Strauss, can we begin with you? Well, since um, uh, it's been since 2001 that Marsh and I were actually resident in Ethiopia, but I have had a chance to travel and, and see many other things. I've really had the chance to answer that question in depth, but uh, going back, for example, to Ethiopia, two changes. Uh, one is the vigor of Islam in its uh, program of, of seeking to reach people by building mosques and attracting them. Uh, I didn't take the time last night to mention on our, my most recent trip to Ethiopia, uh, traveling south um, to a rural part of the country, and I was with an Ethiopian friend who was driving, and as we went south, I, I saw these, these new mosques all the way south on this road. And I asked him about it. And he said, yeah, that's the Muslims' evangelistic strategy. Uh, every 10 kilometers at all the villages, they're building a new mosque. And it's the newest building in the area, and so it's attracting people. And uh, this has not been a Muslim area, but people come just because they're curious. And uh, so the, the strength of Islam in uh, using its money... Uh, pouring it into those kinds of things. I mentioned education last night also. Uh, Islam is very aggressive in its own evangelistic outreach. Uh, a second change would be something else I mentioned, and that's the, the national church uh, taking on uh, an increasing missionary vision. Um, I mentioned some of the, uh, the examples from uh, some of the different countries. Um, one other example I didn't mention last night from Ethiopia. Uh, we think of Ethiopia, perhaps you think of the poverty, you think of famine. Uh, you, you, you may know that there is this vibrant evangelical church, but it's a church with an increasingly strong missions vision. Uh, there is one town in southern Ethiopia next to this large mountain. And the town has been uh, a strong presence for believers, evangelicals, for the past 60 years. The church has been very strong there. But they've gained an increasing vision. And now once a year, they hold an annual prayer uh, festival on top of that mountain. And um, missionaries who have been there, foreign missionaries, say that as many as 50,000 people come and gather uh, they walk up the mountain, and some of them spend the night there, and then the next day, 50,000 people on top of this mountain gather and pray for the nations of the world. He said, as you walk through these, the, the area, you'll hear groups of people crying out for Afghanistan and for China and for Saudi. And he says, these are very sophisticated people. These are rural Ethiopian farmers, coffee farmers and others, uh, who are not city people or not well-educated people, yet they're aware of the areas of the world. They know about need. And they are gathering once a year, uh, at least for this all-day prayer festival for the nations of the world. Amen. So Amen. The, the way that the, the uh, seeing the, there, the people have grasped the vision for vision, missions. Those would be two changes. Terrific. Phyllis. I would say that one of our biggest challenges in the area of missions is the fact that we have become inundated with false doctrine. People who are preaching something not quite, not what it should be. Not just not quite, but not what it should be. 
and um, they try to make it easy for people to go to church. Um, it's like the louder you sing and the louder you praise the Lord, in quotes, then the more Christian you are without any kind of uh, spiritual um, uh, matter attached to I ask you to think about Haiti now. Are you talking about the Bahamas? Go ahead, And the, the other thing is that the Haitians could be, to me, the Haitians could be the most ascending of uh, a country of missionaries in the Caribbean if they had the opportunity to do so. Because even in their own country, they're always going from one village to the next, um, um, having missionary trips. Missionary, they're going on missionary trips according to them. And that is very, very um, heartwarming. And they do make many converts when they go. i just tell you about a, a village. I think I told some of you about it sometime when I was here. But there's this village, and the only person married in that village was the niece of the chief of police. And he married her to the man who was her husband because he wanted to make sure that she inherited some of what he had. Um, one morning, the Lord spoke to a lady in a village maybe about um, a day's march away, walk away, and told her she should walk. And she disobeyed and started walking. And about late afternoon four or five o'clock she got to this village and uh, there was uh, crying of or weeping because of somebody who had died, a baby who had died. And she learned that that was the uh, third child to have died in the same family in the past three days. So she, the Spirit of the Lord told her to take the baby in her arms, which she did, the dead baby, and she prayed and the baby came back to life. Mm. Well, you can imagine that was a great um, uh, upstir in the village. And she ran back and called her pastor, who is one of our pastors. And he went and um, stayed for about a week preaching. And so many people were converted. They never heard the story of Jesus before. And you could imagine in Haiti, there our places such as those. Mm, wow. Okay, Martin. Well, um, one big change for us, probably wasn't last year, but year, the year before last was when we were able to have um, two families go back into a tribal location. Um, you all know that we had to get out of all the tribal areas where we had missionaries working, but Thank the Lord. In, in 2009, we did have two families that were able to go back. And there's, and then another family um, joined them last year. And we've also had a couple other families that are living um, close to where some other tribal people are. Um, 
And along with what Brother Steve said, we have seen a lot more interest in the Venezuelan church in missions in the last um, four or five years. Since we, were, since we had to get out of the jungle areas, the Venezuelan church has really, really um, become more interested and more involved in, in missions and, and reaching the tribal people in Venezuela. It's really been a blessing and encouragement to see that, that they've been really been getting, they're really getting more interested in, in reaching, seeing the need and reaching the tribal people in Venezuela. Thank you. Dr. Albrecht. The biggest concern that I have as I travel from place to place is the um, the poor teaching in the in the churches um, around the world, uh, particularly in Latin America, um, in Africa. Uh, it's 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 a it's a really big problem. Uh, there are some pastors who are trained well and they they preach the they teach the Bible correctly and. Um, they do well, but a lot of the uh, pastors are not trained, and um, it's hard to uh, discern <laughs> the Bible. And uh, sometimes they preach preach heresy, and it's a great concern of mine to try to train up the next generation to do that. And uh, what Patrick was saying, I think, is really true that we need to get people who can um, not only uh, study the Bible but interpret it correctly and, and uh, teach it correctly, so that people get correct doctrines. You get all kinds of um, of heresies in different places that, that uh, bother me. If you want to talk about the last year, I was just recently at, um, at the NRB, um, National Religious uh, Broadcasters, and um, w- one of the uh, speakers uh, gave these statistics, and I think this is something that um, is really, um, has really impacted me and is really making me think about the future of missions and the future of our mission uh, these are the statistics uh, for <laughs> technology. Right now, they're claiming 5.3 billion active mobile devices in the world. That's 70% of the world's population, which is just less than 7 billion people right now. 70% of them have a, a mobile device. At, by the year end of 20, 2011, this year, 85% of handsets will be able to, be, to access the web. By the end of 2011, December 31st of this year, 85% of those 70% of the world's population will have access to the Internet. And they're claiming that 6.1 trillion text messages were sent in 2011. 6.1 trillion, and the world's population is less than 7 billion. This is the way to reach the world for Jesus Christ, through technology. And they're saying that in 2013, mobile phones will overtake PCs <laughs> in the world. More people have mobile phones than PCs. So this technology has come on us so quickly, and it's overtaking us. And uh, I think we're all good at, at, the, at the missionary model. You know, we, we, we pray and we ask people to, to become missionaries, and God calls missionaries, and they go overseas. They raise their support, and they go overseas. And they make an impact. And I believe the person going overseas has, has a great impact. But I think there are a lot of folks that we're not able to reach uh, if we could reach them with technology. And um, I don't know how to do it. I heard about this about two or three weeks ago, but it's something that I've been praying about and, and trying to think through. How can our mission or how can missions 
meet this need because it has a tremendous, a tremendous opportunity to reach the world for Christ. And that's that's just what we want to do. We want to reach the world for Christ. And I think this is the means that can uh, quickly move us forward. It also might help the problem that I see with um, what, what uh, Brother Steve was saying about uh, the professing church. He kept talking about professing things, and that, that bothers me. Um, professors are going to hell. <laughs> Believers are going to heaven. And maybe through this, some way we can... We can leverage together, leverage something so that we can not only get people the gospel, but we can also train them up in, in the word of God. And that's that's the things that have been rolling around my brain. <laughs> Thank you. That is quite an area. All right. Let's go to do you now. Any questions uh, uh, from the congregation based on what they've said or any of your own questions? Like in Haiti, that um, since the earthquake, um, there's still not much um, real strong Christian. Like a lot of people haven't changed into Christianity um, still. I would say that um, the earthquake has uh, ignited or put a new meaning to the gospel. I wouldn't say all over Haiti, but in huge sections of Haiti. And many, many people have come and still are coming. The wave of uh, people coming to know the Lord hasn't yet subsided. And there are many people still coming to know the Lord. One of the great problems we face is that with the... um, false doctrines being uh, preached over the country. Many of these people will fall into the hands of um, people teaching them nothing or the wrong doctrine. And that is one of our greatest problems. Next question, please, quickly. Is right over here. Um, Dr. Strauss, um, in relationship to, I know you, you talk a lot about um, reaching the world. Um, in fact, evangelism is, is one of the key uh, points to bring people to the, us, to the saving knowledge of Christ. But after they would have, and I can touch on, on, on Patrick Waterford, because I believe he is doing a fantastic job when it comes to priest of ministry. Evangelism and discipleship, they are married to each other. What, what type of method is being used as you travel to stabilize those who come to Christ, it's important to bring the knowledge to, to, to the, un, the unreached. But after they would have come, what, and it's all big word of mission, what, are, what you see across the globe, people are doing to stabilize the truth in individuals? That's a great question. And of course, last night I was just giving a survey, a panorama of what, what we know from just outward appearances. Uh, and 
when you talk about unreached peoples, of course, those are the ones who have not even had a chance to respond to the gospel, and it's important to get the gospel to them. But I would put right at the top of the list also the importance of discipling them into uh, maturity in their faith. Um, ideally, you want to plant churches, and uh, planting churches involves evangelism and then teaching people, uh, seeing them uh, enter into communions, fellowships, where they themselves are sharing the gospel in their local communities so that uh, the, the outreach is going to be continued and perpetuated there, and that's all part of discipleship. Patrick and I uh, had a couple of great conversations already, and uh, I strong, in fact, this is what my own missionary work was, was discipleship and teaching. Uh, when we were in Ethiopia, my focus for 19 years was on training pastors and evangelists and others, but uh, discipling and training those who were going to be leaders, Bible teachers in their churches. Uh, what have I seen? I've seen all kinds of methods, some of it very good. I think precepts is right at the top of the list of excellent methods for teaching people to get into the Word. I tell my students at Dallas Seminary the most important course they are taking is how to study the Bible, the, uh, the basic course uh, that they are learning how to study scriptures, and I tell them that's the most important thing they can teach anybody that they have brought to Christ is how to study the Word on their own. So I agree 100% with you on that. Um, uh, there are some other, uh, you, you see a lot of different kinds of methods of training. There's residential Bible schools, there's theological education by extension where uh, courses are prepared, people go out and visit them. There's the internet, as Brother Brian has just mentioned, for evangelism and follow-up and teaching, correspondence courses. There's a wide variety of methods. I think the best, if you can get it, is uh, the kind of thing that, that Patrick is doing, where you have a small group in your modeling how to study scripture inductively, how to understand it and then apply it to your life, uh, whether you're doing that with a small group or a larger group, um, teaching and, and raising up and planting the church to be able to do that is at the core of maintaining a, a, a mature, well-taught, deep church, which then in turn can evangelize and disciple its own people. All right. And the other one, and the other questions, please, right, right here. Anton. Um, is there any statistic as to how much of a church's budget is allocated toward missions? Like, is there any statistics? You mean the worldwide church internationally? Yes. Our statistics on how much, and I don't have those in the front of, front of lobe of my brain. Um, I know where to find the answers to that, but I, I don't have it right there. Uh, it's it's not much, though. It's much less than uh, 10% of a church's budget. That is, most churches are not even giving a tithe. I think, if again, I'm, I'm bringing this back from way, way deep, but if you're talking about the amount of Christian giving that goes to actually reaching unevangelized people, you're talking about between 1% and 2%, I believe. It's it's very small. So I saw on um, one of the worldwide... It's Half a cent. No, not a percent. Half a cent of all the money that is given to missions from a dollar point of view. Anyway, it's very low. It's very small. All right, any other questions? Pardon? Dr. Albrecht, sorry. Hey, uh, I saw statistics that, that, um, that Christians are giving 3% of their, their income you know, across the board to churches. So... If you're talking about missions after that, you're, you're looking at a very small part of the pie. After that. In other words, what actually goes to missions? The last figure, I think, five, right, 
five years ago, I think, in the, in the global thing, it was, it was one cent. Now, it's half a cent. Okay, any other questions? Oh, here's over there. Anybody, do you think the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the missions will get harder to do? Well, we're finding uh, missions are getting harder to do, uh, mainly because with the downturn of the economy, it's, it's harder to raise funds. Um, we find that I, in, my, in my office, when I get the, uh, reports of churches that are um, getting to the point where they, they aren't meeting their budget, so the first thing they cut is the mission budget, and they cut people off. You have missionaries overseas, and uh, with a dollar that's tanking, they automatically are having a reduction in their income. If you set a budget and they raise the budget and they go overseas, and as the dollar declines against other currencies, then their their income is declining. And then when you have people who uh, cease to to give, uh, sometimes they're very good good reasons. Some people are out of work. Some people can't give anymore. Um, but I find, in my own heart, when I find these letters coming from churches. It just really bothers me, and I just wonder where the pastors are in this. You know, we're living by faith. We're trusting God for resources. We're trusting God to provide. And uh, I take that as a big responsibility. When people do do provide funds for us, we, we make sure they go where they're supposed to go. But where's the faith in the church? You know, um, they, can't they cut somewhere else? Isn't there other things that they can cut before they start cutting off missionaries who who are really overseas doing a wonderful job for the Lord, and, and they're having to come back quicker uh, to raise support, and which costs a lot more money. And uh, it's, it's much more difficult to get uh, people on the field uh, to raise their support now. I think of churches that have the so-called faith promise. It's not tied to the budget. You see what I'm saying? It's not tied to the budget. All of the money comes in, goes to missions. Getting stronger, yeah. and we'll talk more about that uh, Thursday night. Yeah. Great, great question, Crystal. Thank you. All right, any other questions, please? Let's move right along. All right, over here, Wilmina. This is a question for Brother Pinder about Venezuela. Do you have any, or do you receive any cooperation in? organizing or whatever you need with the Venezuelan evangelistic churches because there is um, as far as I know I come from very close um, like in Coro and in Valencia there is revival and do you do you receive any do you have any connection or contact with those churches or they with you um. Yeah, we we do have um, contact with with quite a few churches, um, 
back when um, we were asked to leave Venice, leave the tribal areas, um, what our leadership decided to do was form another organization. Um, and the leaders in that organization are all Venezuelan pastors. And so the church has really gotten, since then, the Venezuelan church has really gotten more involved in, um, in the tribal evangelization, tribal work. Um, with our mission, we used to have a conference every year where we'd get together for fellowship just among our missionaries. And the last four or five years, that has been opened up to involve um, basically anybody that wants to come from churches and also our missionaries and the tribal people themselves even are involved in that in that conference where we all to get together for a week and and have a time of fellowship in in the word okay. Venezuelans um, getting involved in reaching the tribal people good thing that show us showed well I don't I'm not sure it's a good well yeah I'm not sure that's right. Yeah, there you go. There all you things go. do work together for good. Amen. That's right. All right. Any other questions? Anyone? All right. Let me ask one before we we go. Um, what would you say was some would be some of the best ways or strategies for doing mission today? I'd like for each one of you. What are some of the best ways or best strategies for doing missions in our world today? Can we start with you, Dr. Uh, Strauss? Okay. Um, maybe rather than best, may I answer just a little differently and talk about two newer strategies that people can do well or can do poorly uh, because they are so popular. Uh, one of those is business as mission. And by business as mission, we're talking about someone who goes and is a legitimate business person. We're not talking about a faker. We're not talking about someone who goes and pretends to have a facade business, uh, and but is really there as an evangelist. Um, Marsh and I have had the privilege of traveling into some countries where it's impossible to go with a missionary visa or missionary permit and talk with and visit many people who are there as legitimate business people. They have started employee hiring, tax-paying businesses that are blessing the people of that country by providing employment. But those people are primarily there as marketplace witnesses for Christ. And uh, there are some really good strategies for doing that well. It's opening up all kinds of doors. I think it's very important to take time to learn language. It's very important to still have the prayer and some financial support from ascending church because it takes a long time for a business like that to get off the ground. Uh, it's very important that the person go uh, fully intending to do a good job both in business as well as evangelism and discipleship. But that's a very exciting strategy for opening doors and places that are difficult to get into. Another very popular strategy lately is short-term mission. Um, in North America last year, the United States specifically, over a million people went out on some kind of short-term missions. Um, and many, many people are feeling like they can do mission through short-term. Uh, there's a lot of key points for doing short-term mission well. I think perhaps right at the top of the list is recognizing that short-term mission uh, can accomplish certain things, but other things it, it, it's going to be limited in. 
Uh, it's still very important that some missionaries go long-term, learn language, learn culture, build trust with people. Uh, when that happens, short-term mission can uh, be very helpful in filling some gaps. I think churches that engage in a, uh, a full short-term mission, it's important for them to send teams back to the same location frequently and build relationship with those same people. So, for example, sending short-term teams down to Haiti to help Sister Phyllis. Building a long-term relationship with the same churches, the same people, can be a very helpful way to supplement her work. A lot of other pieces to doing short-term mission. You can do it very, very badly in ways that will create dependency, spend lots of money, and accomplish almost nothing. You can do it well in a way that supplements long-term strategies on the ground that are going on. And that's a much longer answer I could give to that, but just very shortly. Those are two popular strategies that can be done very well or very poorly. Galbrecht, anything that I... Yeah. Um... Uh, short-term missions was what I was going to say first, and you stole my, my thunder, so I have to just be—I have to just sort of uh, calm down on that one. Uh, I really believe in that. Uh, when I had a church before I became pastor or the director or president of Global Outreach, we had a church that had a had. Um, by the time I left, after 13 half years, we had over 25% of our people in a short-term uh, ministry supporting some aspect overseas. In fact, some years, um, over 50% of our in- income went to missions, and our church was alive because these people would come back changed and would make a tremendous impact on the local church. And we see that together. The second thing that I would say, putting short-term missions first, <laughs> um, would be making alliances. Um, in New York, we've partnered with um, uh, five other uh, missionary type groups around our church. Our church is very forward looking and they're connected with certain churches around America and we're connected with them. And then in the area we have five, five churches, five mission organizations that are working together just on Sierra Leone. And what we do is we come together and make sure there's no duplication of effort. Uh, we, uh, support one another and help one another. And, um, that's been very, very helpful. And now that uh, our, our, our mission is now in a group uh, out in Oklahoma, and we're trying to get with a group that's doing the same thing that we're doing out in uh, Washington, Oregon State. And so I think partnering with, with uh, key churches or key organizations that are in the same place is a very effective way of, of, uh, of targeting a country. Uh, the idea of having a strategic plan for the whole country, to win the country for Christ, I think that's, that's the wave of the future, and that's the thing that we want to do. Surprised none of you mentioned the idea of sponsoring native uh, people in their own in their own country. Uh, in other words, like we're doing with global, we're and on the map, where we support national workers. In that connection, let me ask you a question because it's sort of a devil's advocate question here uh, concerning the. Um, Short terms. Isn't there sort of a backlash now on that with the criticism saying that it's really affecting long-term missions because we have so many of these short terms and a lot of not too much has been accomplished uh, and, and um, it, it sort of deadens the, in, the enthusiasm for full-time missions? Well, from my point of view, it's just the opposite. Um, 
when short-term teams go overseas with us and go with a particular missionary or, or a particular project, um, they, they know before they go what they're doing. Um, they help us raise funds to complete that project, which is very helpful to the mission. And when they go, um, they, they come back changed. And, and I, I, and the fact we, we get missionaries out of the short-term program, that's why we, it's a lot of work for our mission office to, to send teams overseas. But, um, when we put them together with our, with the office, they, they're trained well and they, they're organized well and they're funded well. And, um, when they get over there, they know what you're doing, everything's planned and, uh, they have a good experience. And when they come back, um, they, they are really blessed. And so for our ministry, I, I still see it as a great positive. We do have the odd team that goes over and, uh, you have, you try to vet the people that you're, you're putting on a team and sometimes you'll get a, a person that's, um, is not uh, not a good companion to be with, and so we we mess up once in a while. And concerns about that that whiplash. What about we you try to do the more. What about what about, about you? That you can say something, Steve. I don't know. Philip, I'm very much in favor of the short-term missionaries, as uh, Dr. Albrecht has said. Um, they go back home enthused. Sometimes they turn their church upside down. And also, um, they come prepared and geared to a certain task. And it is possible in many cases that that task is completed. Or if it is not completed, um, they will return to make sure that it's done because they want to know that they have completed well, I think we find that even with Camp Bahamas. Camp Bahamas have uh, many things coming on on a continuing basis and other places as well. But I do sense that's coming. I am, in, in the literature that coming in missions, there seems to be a backlash towards that as well as the funding of, uh, of um, native uh, workers and so on. I just want to, just one additional thing that I, I didn't say before. We have found that when we send uh, short-term teams over to, to particular projects or, mer, uh, or missionaries, they come back a lot of times. They're not only praying for those ministries, but also giving to them, and it's helped uh, help raise funds. Stay on to go into full-time ministry as well. Yeah. Good. All right. One more question. Sorry. I agree with what uh, Brian and Phyllis have said when the short-term teams are done well, as they both described. I, on the most negative case is when it inoculates people against long-term mission. And I have also seen cases of that when they're not done well. People come back and they say, there, I've done my bit for missions. I don't have to do anymore. That, that is at the scenario. But, but they're taught, I'm exactly agreeing with them. The key is doing so it well. So it's done well. The key is doing it well. The end result as well. That's right. A great drop, decrease uh, in the amount of long-term missionaries, and uh, and that has nothing that well, has nothing to do, Pastor, with well, the short-term missionaries. Well, some missionologists wouldn't agree with that. You see, that's the point. That's the point. I mean, some of them would not agree with that point. They would point it to that very same thing. Anyway, I'm just wondering what your thoughts were there, because I agree with you all. I believe that the uh, short-term mission is a great thing. And um, we're going to continue with that.